Hello, world, and welcome to the Shape of a Star podcast, where everyone has a story. We just need to shape it so that we're the star, or something like that. Today's episode of the Shape of the Star podcast is brought to you by the Cinephile podcast. Cisco is a mental health professional currently based in the D.C. area who is actually moving to California, California to pursue a Ph.D. in clinical psychology this fall, 2021. He loves video games, movies, and books. You can find him on Instagram at Hey Look, It's Sesco, where he posts a good ET whips up and promotes his own podcast. The Cinephile Podcast is a show where Sesco brings in other professionals in the field of mental health to discuss the portrayal of psychological disorders in film. Or if you're me, I wanted to talk about TV. So we did TV. You're all probably wondering, why am I doing this at the beginning? Well, that's because today's episode is Cisco himself. So here he is. Hey, everybody. Hey, world. So right at the top, I just, I'm sorry to do this to you, man, but I got to correct you. When you sh- so my full name is Francesco, but when yes. you shorten it, you pronounce it Chesco. Okay. So even, you say an H, even though there's not an H there. Right. I thought it was the E I was screwing up. No. Because as no. I was saying, I was like, this isn't right. What am I it, saying wrong? It wasn't right, but not for the reason that you thought. But it's totally okay. It's totally okay. Yeah. Not a big deal. It is a big deal. We should all be saying people's names correct. If we could all suffer through Tchaikovsky, the music well, and his name, we should all be able to say other names right. Well, for sure. I just don't want to be an asshole about it. Like, I'm not angry. You should say my name right. But ultimately, you and I can still be friends. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> because... <laughs> Uh, as I said earlier, I've already recorded one episode of your show, and mm-hmm. I'm pushing to do another crazy ex-girlfriend episode, because everyone on this show knows that I talk about it all the time. Yeah, you know, I still haven't watched it. I'm definitely down. I already promised uh, my co-worker, Luis, that we would do an episode on uh, this Spanish-language film called Y tu mamá también, and I think I'm taping that sometime in June. Mm-hmm. After that, I'll make some time. I'm sorry to keep you waiting, but I'll make some time to watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and then we'll see. It's okay. When you watch it, let me know so I could rewatch it and remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It has like four seasons, right? Four seasons, 62 episodes, 157 original songs. Well, it's so much. But it's a show about mental health, despite the fact it's hidden as a comedy. Yeah. A musical romantic comedy about mental health. Who wrote the music for it? Anybody famous? Oh, God. Yes. Yes. His, his famous. Oh, my God. Adam Schlesinger, I think his name is. Okay. Like, let me check before this I... This like... vaguely familiar. Well, he is very, very known. Yeah. Adam Schlesinger. I was totally right. Cool. Um. So, Adam... I have Wikipedia, people. So don't be impressed. <laughs> there you are. Adam Schlesinger was an American songwriter, multi-instrumental, and re- record producer. He was a founding member of the bands Fountains of Wayne, Ivy... Tinted oh. Windows, and was the key songwriting contributor for Brooklyn-based synth-pop duo Fever High. He also wrote songs for film, television, for which he won three Emmys, a Grammy, and an ASCAP Pop Music Award, and was nominated for an Academy, Tony, and Global Globe Awards. Sadly, he died from complications of COVID-19 on April 1st last year, when he was oh, 52 no. years old. Oh, no. But, yeah. But his work is amazing. He has so many things. I recognize Fountains of Wayne. Isn't that the band that did Stacy's mom? Yes. 
There you go. Okay, so I do know who that is. Okay. Yeah, Sweet. he wrote so much stuff. I'm like looking it up right now. Songs performed by other. So like, yeah, he composed master. The, he composed for movies mm-hmm. like what's it called? Um, Ice Age. Hmm. Uh, music and lyrics. Robots. Okay. Something about Mary, me, myself, Irene, Josie and the Pussycat. Scary movie he did. Oh no way! Because of Win Dixie, Orange County. Then he wrote like a ton of like he wrote a lot of kids music too. So like he wrote yeah. Kathy Griffin's talk show. He wrote for Big Time Rush. He wrote Stephen Colbert. He was supposed to do the music for the Nanny Broadway show. Oh, here it is. I love you, America. Uh, Big Time Rush, Tough Puppy, Good Luck Charlie, Kathy, uh, Billboard Music Awards. He wrote for the Christmas Disney Parks Christmas Day Parade. A very prolific composer. He was so well known, and you just never knew. But he was also the executive music producer of the scripted comedy Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There you go. Oh, he also worked with production-wise. This is what people are actually going to care about. The Monkees, Fever High, Dashboard Confessional, Mm. Squirrel 360, Tahiti 80, Motion City Soundtrack, Verve Pipe, Robert Plant, America, The Sounds, They Might Be Giants, Fastball, and many others. Wow. So he really just was lurking in the background of all these things in pop culture. Yes. Okay. He really was always around. So the music is great. And he did all the genres. Pretty much. I mean, I didn't hear any death metal in there, but pretty much. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has a death metal song. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, the more you talk about it, the more I feel like I do want to watch the show. And the the more I do feel like I'll probably enjoy it. I think you will because you love psychology. Yeah, and I'm not, like, huge on musical theater, but I am somewhat of a fan. So it kind of sounds like maybe it could be my thing. You're into music, just not yes. musical theater. Yes. So the songs are super catchy. And as I tell everyone, everyone go watch the show for listening. Write in the comments if you actually have watched it. If <laughs> comments are a thing for podcasts, I still don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, no one has really commented mine. Yeah, you upload to what? Where can we find the Cinephile podcast? So right now, it currently lives on SoundCloud, but I'm thinking about maybe putting it on different platforms. We'll see. I'm kind of, tentatively, I think that I'm going to spend, so as you mentioned earlier, I'm moving to California for graduate school. I'm going to be pursuing a PhD in clinical psych. And because of everything going on with the move, and I'm moving with my partner across the country, it turns out that Classes don't start until September 9th, but we have to move there in July. Like we'll mm-hmm. be there like July 15th or something. So I'm going to have six weeks where, I mean, I'm going to be working. I'm like looking for part-time jobs, but for the most part during the day, I'm going to have a lot of free time. So tentatively what I'm thinking is, okay, well, I can work on my podcast. So I want to tape like maybe three or four episodes ahead of time and then give myself like several months to edit them and then just kind of upload them throughout the year. And then we'll see if I keep this going beyond that point, I would probably move platforms because SoundCloud, I'm not finding it the most user friendly. And I don't mm. know if like a podcast is super accessible off of it. So we'll see. I don't know either, but yeah. I do know there's like Anchor, which is an app that automatically is like Podcast Blaster. It like mm. uploads it to certain places or pitches it to places for you. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It's probably what I'm going to end up using once I do. Recommended by Sarah Nichols of well, her own episode of this and 
Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, a podcast and Pub Talk Live. Man, you're having a lot of podcasters on your show. I'm having a lot of everything. I don't know if I ever yeah. told you the full list, but I have writers, I have music people, I have psych people. That's cool. I dig that. I'm so happy with all the people that have agreed to come on. Yeah. Yeah. How many episodes have you taped so far? Uh, I think you're number 16. No, 16, 17 <clears throat> next week. Whoa. Okay. You That's are so much, you're in the teens that I do know. You might cool. be 13. Yeah, you might be 13. So, yeah. Wow. When are you going to start uploading these? Psh, I don't know. <laughs> the goal is July, everyone. But by the time you hear this, it'll already be live. There you go. <laughs> yeah, let me check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, no, you're number nine. Okay. That's yeah. still a lot. You only started this like a month ago, right? Uh, I started this on May 3rd. Two very, weeks ago, yeah, like two weeks ago, and you've already taped nine episodes. That's very, that's very productive. It's productive because I'll be honest, people. Everyone, so it's no secret. I pre-send questions. I pre-recorded all these, so the world already knows. And this whole project was made. It's a vanity project fueled by literal vanity by me. I bought this <laughs> mic. I'm using it. So, yeah. but I'll be honest, like. Summer's coming. Band season's going to come. I'm going to get lazy. It's better to just be marathon everything and have fun talking to my friends than, like, set up every other month or, like, whenever. Like, for me, I'd rather just get it done, have a huge backlog, and be like, okay, people. Might yeah. be out of date. Might have updated things. Like, but as long as it's publicly known, it's pre-recorded, don't at me. And, like, in every yeah. episode, I kind of mention, like, around, like, the date. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're still in May, people. <laughs> when we're recording this one yeah, yeah yeah it is may may what may 17th today everybody yeah kind monday turn back now you know 725 eastern standard time <laughs> mm -hmm. no but honestly kudos to you because you were only episode four for me and i still have yet to tape episode five so like and, and i mean it's a little different for me right because i mean i don't i don't have a ton of free time but the but i I think there's a lot of prep work, I guess, before for my for my show because in my show, like, I have to watch the movie or, or, or the television series, and then I have to like you have a ton of prep work. Yeah, which don't get me wrong, I enjoy, but I guess it does mean that it, it's a little harder to have more output. Exactly, it really is. Everyone, so like when you listen to the Cinephile podcast, when I went on, that was just I did not expect it to be so clinical, <laughs> and I was Thank like, you. oh god, I need to flex my brain again. <laughs> because I went into where I'm in because I don't diagnose and I don't really deal with the DSM and mm -hmm. I just like work with the people as I see them. So because, well, okay, it's public knowledge. I'm a school counselor. Like yeah, schools don't want to be liable for all that stuff. So we're not allowed to do it. <laughs> yeah. And Hey, I actually really appreciate you saying that because that, that is kind of the slant that I have for it. I mean, I don't think it always has to be clinical. Like sometimes I'm sure we'll bring in people from other facets of psych, but I, I want it to be an informative show. You know, I want people to learn from it. So I'm actually happy to hear that that's kind of coming through. Oh, yes. I openly said on your show, I had to Google some of the things we were talking about to make sure I wasn't saying anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. The five stages of grief, everyone. Every psych person should theoretically remember it. I only remember four of them on a good day. Yeah, as we were talking about, it's like maybe not worth remembering anymore. So yeah, it's very outdated. Yeah, but it's outdated. good to know because it's fun to bash. Right, 
right. or critique. <laughs> no, but you brought a lot of good energy to, to my show. And see, that's kind of like I, so far. I mean, when I first started this, so I started this little project uh, last summer. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I got the idea for it last summer. I don't think I actually executed on it until like August. And the very first episode was just one of my buddies who loves movies and who loves talk, hearing me talk about psychology. He He's an engineer. So he doesn't really have as much background in that, but he's interested in it. So whenever him and I get to talking, he's like, oh, shit, tell me more. So, <laughs> you, you know, me and him just were shooting the shit. And then I was like, well, what are other friends who I have who love movies? And then because I do have some friends with a psych background, that's when I started asking some of the people I went to college with. And then I asked you. And in the, in the, like I said, that my next guest is going to be a coworker of mine. I have a few coworkers I'm thinking of asking. You know, when I'm in graduate school, you know, I'm going to make friends who all have psych backgrounds. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be asking them. Okay. So that actually leads straight into the first question of the night, everyone. So you were mentioning you talked to people you knew at college mm -hmm. and like that, as if I wasn't in your classes with you. <laughs> yeah, we, <had laughs> we met because we were both psych majors at, do you care? Well, I don't know. Everyone I know is where I went. I okay. we went to George Mason University, everyone. Mm -hmm. But unlike me, you went on to be the super studious type and excel in the other side of psychology. Thank you. Thank you. I We all know I'm here because I just like talking to people. Mm -hmm. And I have a knack of making people feel better. So now I have like the clinical background or knowledge or whatever. But okay, can you explain your journey, interests, and like history with psychology for everyone? Because I don't even know why you got in this field. Yeah, sure. Uh, it started when I was really young, actually. So my mom, I'm from Peru. And I came to the U.S. when I was nine, back in like 2002. Mm -hmm. So if you do the math, you can figure out who I am. But when Older we were living me. back there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we were living back there, my mom was a therapist. She worked oh. at the hospital. Yeah, she worked at a hospital that specifically served people in the military or the armed forces. And, and I mean, how she got into it is a whole other story. But just from my experience of it when I was a kid – I just remember her coming home and like kind of telling us about work, of course, like respecting boundaries, like confidentiality and everything, but she was telling us like stories. And I remember she, because it was a, like a military hospital, they were very strict about certain rules. And one rule that she actually didn't like, but that she had to follow was that anybody who was any kind of health professional had to wear like a white coat. And my mom was oh. like, yeah, she, she doesn't have a doctorate or anything. She, she's not a medical doctor, but they were like, no, you have to wear this white coat. She was like, fine. But so she would wear it, and she would come home wearing it. And to me, it just looked like she was wearing a cape. You know, to me, it looked like she was some kind of superhero. And she would tell us, like, all these people suffering and these kids and these families. And I just thought, like, you're so cool. Like, you're helping all these people. I really valued it, and I really looked up to it. You know, and I really admired her for all the work she, that she did over the years. And it's uh, you know, as I got older, I came here, I took an AP psych class in high school. And then I thought I wasn't exactly sure what I would do in college. I tentatively thought I would be a therapist, but I wasn't sure because I wanted to learn more about the field. Mm -hmm. I got into college because it was just so interesting. And the more I learned and the more work I actually did, I was like, no, this, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. So I want to follow in her footsteps and I want to be a therapist just like my mom. Oh, I really have no clue. Yeah, I mean, I don't talk about it a, a ton, to be honest. But yeah, that's no, what. But, 
And that's the point of the podcast, for people to learn how fascinating people are in our stories. And also, you just proved me completely correct, because you have this whole noble purpose and inspiration for being a psychic <laughs> person. I just wanted to have a school schedule. Just <laughs> an hours. Be off. Summer's <laughs> off. Yeah. Like, Summer's off. That's the best part. Yeah, and just like all this stuff, but it turned out a little different. But I love my job. I love talking to people. I'm so happy I love helping it. people feel better. Yeah, but yeah. Again, we're such op- psych is such a broad field. Everyone, it's not what everyone thinks. Like it there's is. so much research that like get away from me, but <laughs> there's research. <laughs> yeah, like, and there's so much to psych. Yeah, it's there's not- workplace stuff like HR. There's neuroscience, which like you call me a science person and I am, but I am not a neuroscience person, man. Like you really have to, you have to think in such a specific way and you have to have like this really hardcore interest in like the natural sciences that I just don't have. Mm-hmm. More power to those people though, right? Um, <laughs> please know, do it so I don't have to. Yeah, yeah, please. And there's all kinds of things that you can go go into. Now there's a lot of like mindfulness and wellness coaching, which you know, I, I have my opinions on, but it's a broad field. There's a I lot mean, of we can talk about your opinions. Cause I'll be honest. Mindfulness doesn't work for high strung people. And I openly say it's not the best for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my whole take on mindfulness is like, it, it, I mean, I like to, to do analogies with actual like medical science because people understand that more. So I, I like to, to liken mindfulness to, you know, using a gauze or using like Neosporin, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. if you have a cut, you should use Neosporin and you should cover it. That's like whole medicine you can do. It like fixes you right up in like a couple days, whatever. But if you have a broken arm, there's like no amount of Neosporin that's going to heal that. Right. So like if you really have some kind of serious developmental delay, or if you have some serious trauma, like there's no amount of mindfulness that's going to untangle that. Right. Like you need therapy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They'll disagree with that, but I agree with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I agree. Like, mindfulness has its place. It's a nice, like, thing to just, like, keep you zen. But, like, mm-hmm. how does it target things? And there's so many studies about it now talking about, like, it's proving it. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Like, it's not working for me. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's the sort of thing where, like, throughout the work day, if I'm, like, feeling a little stressed, like, okay, I'll stretch for, like, two minutes you know, and it helps in that moment. But, you know, if I'm, and I go to therapy right now too, right? But like, if there, I have like a bunch of sleepless nights in a row, I'm not going to say to myself like, oh, I'll just keep it up with this mindfulness. Thing. Like, no, I just tell my therapist. And I'm like, can you help me figure out what's happening? And he does. And it's been great. Nice. Uh, this might be too personal. So feel free to like, go ahead. This, but are you going to keep your therapist when you move? No, but not because I don't like them, but because, okay, so right now I work for this, the technical term for it is core service agency, but it's like a clinic. It's like Mm -hmm. this mini clinic and because it's a full-time job, I have insurance through it Mm -hmm. and it's a really good insurance. So it actually pays for most of my therapy. I only have to pay like 20 bucks a session. It's amazing. Oh, you beat me. You really? Oh yeah. My co-pay is 30. Oh, there you go. Well, I mean, it's still affordable. But, oh, yeah, but that's trick, great. yeah, but the trick is since I'm quitting this job to go to school, I'm not going to have that insurance. And so, and this therapist that I have is based out of DC anyway. So I think there might be some weird things happening with his license. He might, I don't think he's licensed in California. So one, I would have to pay everything out of pocket. And two, 
he might not even be able to see me. So we're gonna we're actually gonna end session soon. We only have like a couple mm -hmm. more sessions. And then I am gonna have health insurance through my university, but I have no idea what that's like. I have no idea what it covers or like what, like I have to do some reading. But you're also back in school, so they have centers. That's true. They probably will have some kind of subsidized or free service for me. And hopefully it's more than Mason's. Hopefully. Yeah, they were always like, I never tried it, but you know, I remember I had an internship at one of the clinics at Mason and they mm -hmm. always seemed like they were overworked and like had this huge waiting list and they, and the Mason's a big school, man. 40,000 students last yeah. year, like 10 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, Mason's huge. And the policy, well, at least when we were there, I assume we were there. No, yeah, we were there together. So yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we were there is you got 12 free emergency services or sessions. Mm -hmm. And then the rest you kind of had to like pay for in some way. I don't even know how because I only use like one quote emergency. I think mm -hmm. I just wanted to try out and just said it was an emergency. <laughs> I mean, more power to you. Because I'm nosy. I was like in waves all the time, which waves, oh, I forgot the acronym, but it was like, uh, it was like kind of like women's services, but more it than just like something like, violence, something, something. Let me look it yeah. up actually because I'm curious. Oh, yeah, to help because we have the internet. Uh, I, was, I was in there. Uh, a fair amount of times when I was an RA. I don't know if you remember that I was an RA my senior year. I forgot you were an RA. Yeah, but yeah, so, so like, at, I was at Waves yeah. because they also did free HIV testing. Yeah. And people were like, come with the, us and like get it done. Condoms. I remember that. Oh, yeah, they did have a bowl. But yeah, so I went and got free HIV testing and I felt bad because like, I was like, you know, there's a really low chance because I've been tested recently because of like blood work stuff and like all this stuff. And they're like, mm. oh, no. Please come and use it. The more we spend, the more funding we get. Hmm, I was like, interesting. Oh, okay, fine. I'll help us get more funding. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Swab me. Because it, it wasn't like blood or anything. It was just like a mouth swab because I can apparently tell that way now. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't realize I could do HIV testing with a swab. In 2011, they were. Yeah. So I'm looking up. I just literally just looked up GMU Waves. Mm -hmm. and I'm not seeing anything, but I'm seeing uh, that it's now called just generally Student Support and Advocacy Center. Like, I guess it's been folded all into, like, one thing. Because they had a it's couple different sack. things. Yeah, it's just sad. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, because the things that Waves did are now here. Because I'm looking over services and it says alcohol and other drugs, financial well-being, Patriot Pantry, which is probably, like, a food assistance thing. They, they have all these yeah. things. Oh, yeah, that cool. would have been nice. Yeah. I know people that could have used the food assistant pantry. Like yeah, back when well, I was I there. people know about it. You know, I hope they're getting the word out. Well, joys of dorming. You dormed, obviously, before you were an RA, right? I actually didn't, believe it or not. Yeah, I, I was, was like, isn't that why you were an RA? To get the dorm? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be real. I mean, this was like six years ago at this point. So who's going to come after me? I mean, my primary motivation to be an RA was to get in the dorms because before that I was commuting. I was a commuter student, like to save money and things. So I like worked part-time as a tutor and then I was going to school full-time. But my last year I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I want at least to live it up a little. I want like, you know, a typical experience. experience. And it was so ironic because it's like, you can't really live it up when you're an RA. Like not at all. I mean, they really, they, I don't want to say they work you pretty hard, but there's a lot of responsibilities and you kind of have to be an example. I'll but say I did it for enjoy you. They work you to death. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Well, maybe I didn't work hard enough to be worked to death. Maybe I didn't take it as seriously. Maybe other people who did were worked to death. But I did wind up liking it. I did wind up liking it. And ironically, it kind of helped in my career because, like, they one of the things that they asked you to do is like, oh, you have to do all these groups for your residents and this and that. Yeah. And I did a few. Not all of them were successful because, like, well, who wants to go to their RAs group, whatever. But one of them was really fun. I had like 15 people come and it was it was like a mocktail hour. So what I did is I like taught the the kids essentially because I was a senior and they were all freshmen. So I was teaching the kids like all about safe drinking and like safe practices when you go out. But we did it intermittently while we made mocktails. Right. So I taught them like how to make like a rum and coke, except there wasn't rum and like how to make a screwdriver and all of these things. But it was with just like juice. It was just really tasty juice and a lot of tasty <laughs> knowledge about safe drinking. And they actually really liked that. Look at you changing lives, teaching things. Now, I'll be honest, I never went to the RA groups. I think I went <laughs> once because there was pizza and then I left. Yeah, most um, people won't. Like I have my own life and half the time, like my RAs did it when I was like busy. Yeah. Another thing we did, and I did this with a few different RAs, like three of us squatted up and we had like a costume party and I had a lot of fun. Not that, I mean, people went as a pregame, which was okay with me. I was like, if people come to us pregame, I'll be happy. And they did. Um, And it was more successful actually, because it was three RAs. So it was like, Mm -hmm. we invited people from all our dorms and people actually did dress up and people did the pumpkin carving. And like, I thought that was fun. Oh, what was the place? The hangout spot in between Sandbridge and Blue Ridge. Like the lounge that opened up randomly. Are you talking about the one really close to Northern Neck? No, there was like, okay, so like, you know where where One Stop was, right? Yeah. So like it was in that little bridge in between where the RD lived that you weren't supposed to know where the RD lived. Well, Um, right, right. Okay, I do know what you're talking about. But I remember because I used to go there because it was right next to my, I lived in Sandbridge, everyone. What are you Mm going to do? Track me down now? Whatever. I lived in Sandbridge. The doors were literally, they hit each other when you opened them. So I used to go in the lounge all the time or I used to call it my waiting room when I couldn't come down and get people. Your waiting room? Was Was it the outside? Was it at the bottom? No, outside was the food. Yeah, but I, I feel like I remember Southside being on the second floor, and then there was that lounge you're talking about on the first floor. No, oh, not that think? one. It was a few okay. buildings closer to Panda. Oh, okay. Then I don't think I know what you're talking about. Okay, so there was like this lounge area where people like used for studying, but sometimes they had activities down there, and I thought it was great. But my favorite one that I always kept saying keep doing, and like I encourage people to use it, was they always had like blank walls. They just have like a prompt, and every month we'd go up and like write our dreams or whatever. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, I remember those prompts. I don't remember that building, but a bunch of my friends organized those. Mm. Yeah, because I kept saying, and I think I was the only person giving commentary and feedback. <laughs> but literally, I called it so like. You had not had the opposite thing. I dormed all four years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember, like, I was so lazy with getting people in and out of dorms because Mason had that really, well, most places. I think it's law now that you have to have really, like, double, like, entrancing. But mm-hmm. what they didn't have is a window right above the door where I just threw my ID out all the time. Oh, man. I was just like, here you go, everyone. Let yourself in. Except when one time it did land on top of a light post. <laughs> oh, my but- God. I didn't. I was. I was actually in class, so I left it with my friends to let everyone in. Because so, I was like, I'm going to class for an hour. I'll be right back. Yeah. So they and apparently, like, it was a spectacle they did because they used one of my six foot pole flags and they were hitting the light post to try and knock it off. <laughs> did and they get like, it down? They did. Wow. But I was like, why did no one take a picture? Yeah. Right. That would have been amazing. 
<laughs> you just see like, but it's so tiny. It would have been hard to see in a picture. It's bright know. yellow. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah, so true. Weird. But like back then, phones weren't that great on cameras. Yeah, I guess we're. When did you graduate? 2014 winter. Okay, yeah, I graduated winter 2015. Yeah, so, yeah. because you went to Mason in 2012, right? I started fall of 2011, but I actually had to take a semester off to just kind of work and, and, and raise money. And then I, and then I came back and it was a little, and I was part-time for a while because that's, I had a scholarship and that's what my scholarship could pay for. But mm -hmm. then once I started, I, you know, I had mentioned that I was tutoring in the beginning, I was just kind of doing it just kind of wherever roughing it. Like I literally put up an ad on Craigslist and I was like, I can, I'm good at math. And, you know, parents just kind of called me, but eventually I got a pretty steady job at this private company. It was called Cowhoy Tutors. And my boss, Damien, was super great to me. I'm actually really grateful to him for the opportunity because I also learned a lot about, you know, being, it was my first like really like big boy professional job, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he started giving me responsibilities like to supervise other tutors and to start hiring people. And I actually, and like once I worked with him, my work schedule was more, I guess, steady. And so I made more money and that's how I was able to kind of like pay my last couple of classes. And that's how I was able to graduate. And look at you heading the, the great doctor. -ness. Yes. Dr. Chesco. Yeah. Oh, that has a ring, but is it really just called grad school? I thought it'd be like doctor school. I mean, I guess it depends on how snooty you want to be about it. I mean, I've just been saying graduate school and people just ask and they're like, oh, are you getting an MSW? And I'm like, no, it's it's a it's a PhD. And they're like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Because people say PhD programs. Yeah. I'm yeah, a PhD yes. program. Um, I'm a candidate. Yeah. Oh, I'm a PhD candidate. I'm submitting my thesis now. That's not really me. I mean, I'm going to submit a thesis, but in general, <laughs> I'm not really snooty about things. No, not at all. And that's why I bring people on here so I can hype them up and be snooty oh, for them. You're really them. good at hyping people up. I think that's probably why you're good at your job, too. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we keep, like, circling around topics. So question mm -hmm. number two. Go ahead. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. So people have heard about the Cinephile podcast on here, mm -hmm. rotating through my quote commercials, unquote. So like yes. pretend I haven't been already doing it. Pitch it to us. Yeah. So and, and you know, I'm actually really glad that you're asking this because I kind of spoke to this on a recent episode, but I feel like I didn't really do my motivations justice. Mm -hmm. So honestly, at first it started out as an idea of well, I love movies. Uh I love to talk about psychology and there's so many, I guess, misconceptions about mental health in general that I thought that film, it could be a really powerful tool to harness, to actually like convey this information to people without being preachy. All right. And because the more and more I think about it, I'm like, in general, I'm the sort of person who really values education because you should use it to like empower other people, right? Like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, you know, getting a degree so you could be in your ivory tower and, you know, and you could like lord over people. No, I, I think it's a kind of our responsibility. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think it's our responsibility people like us who got the chance to go to college to kind of share that knowledge for people's well-being. very broad strokes. That's how I feel. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about the health profession, I feel even more so that way because I'm like, well, the whole point of this health profession is to help people. And when you zoom in even more into psychology, I'm like, well, that's even more the case because of all the misconceptions, right? There's so many people who uh, are afraid to go to therapy, don't know what it is, don't even know how to start. It, when I think so that it's true. Like, yeah. When I think it's as essential as like going to the dentist, you know, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's lots of people who don't even have access to that too, but th- I am, what I'm trying to say is it's that vital, right? Like going to go see a therapist is just as vital as getting your teeth clean. So I'm, th- I'm sitting here thinking, well, I have all this knowledge, right? This is my specialty. This is what I love to do. This is what I love to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel that it's my personal responsibility to bring that knowledge to people, you know, because I think it could really benefit their lives. Look at you, personal responsibility people. He's going to be one of the world changers one day. Mark the oh, calendars because everyone you. already knows it's May 17, 2021. Like we knew him before he made it big. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Don't worry, you, I won't forget about you. Uh, sure, forget about me, whatever. I have photographic evidence we've hung out. Um, <laughs> I also have one of your Tupperwares here, by the way, still. Uh, oh, I'm so glad you still have it. I was going to ask you, actually. I left it there like a year ago. Yes, before the pandemic, because everyone, we were both watching the Digimon tree, try, depending where you are, how you say it, movies, which by the way, I'm in like a Tentamon blanket right now. Oh, I can, I'm not getting, there you go. I mean, I know I recognize it as a shell, but you're not really getting the full picture, but yeah. Yeah, because I'm going to tangle myself if I try to show you. But Mm. anyways, back to your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So basically, I think the way that I like conveying information is through entertainment, just because again, it's more accessible, it's wide reaching, it's mass media. I mean, the last episode we did was MCU for God's sakes. And that's everybody and their mom watches the MCU now, you know, yep. so it can be a vehicle for people to learn about mental health. I think that, that that'd be a great thing. It is. And I love how you use the phrase everyone and their mom. Cause my mom reluctantly watches it. She hates the movies. <laughs> really? She still watches them. My mom does not like superhero movies. Okay. But she's not into like sci-fi fantasy at all. She rather watch like a historical or like uh or, like inspired by a true story mob film or something like that. Like sure. She's not a romantic. Well, she does like romantic comedies, but she really wants like true stories. Mm-hmm. True or at least inspired by true stories kind of deal. Yeah. And- Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, yeah. So WandaVision is so not her thing. Because she also hated the comedies of like, really? because my mom was born in 1960. So she grew mm-hmm. up watching most of those shows. She hated all of them. No way. Wow. Back when they were airing. She's like, they're so fake. We all sleep in, like, whose parents doesn't sleep in one bed? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, That's such a good point. I mean, they were pretty whitewashed back in the day. Well, my mom's white too. But right. she just, well, my mom also grew up in New York. So she's like, this is so unrealistic. I mean, I can see that. I mean, those shows were very popular, but yeah. I mean, when you look back at them now, they are really sanitized, right? In this way, like, oh, life is so great and perfect, but it's really not. Yeah. And the only thing she did like was the Munsters. To this day, she's like a Munsters fan. It's like the Adams Family, but like a little bit more settled in reality. And they weren't like. The Adams family is the try-hard edge lords of the monsters. Gotcha. The monsters was just a family of like creature-esque people that just basically lived normal life and they didn't try to be weird. Adams hmm. family, they you know they were try-hards in a way. 
I see. Interesting. I mean, I'm literally looking them up right now. I've mm -hmm. never heard of this before. They have a website. Let me go to the Wikipedia page. 1313 Mockingbird Lane. Yeah. This air, when did this air? 1964? Something like that. I don't know. Yes. Well, interesting. Before I was born, that's all. Before we were born. Because we were yeah. only born, like, how many months apart? I was born in June of 1993. Yeah, and I'm December. So six months apart. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so this aired from 1964 to 1966. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it looks spooky. It, yeah. It, like I said, it was just the aesthetic. They were really typical. Mm -hmm. They were just mm -hmm. trying to make it an, an American way. American dreaming. So kind of like of the times, but like they were more like, oh, we're different. Okay, whatever. We're not going to try to creep you out. We're just going to try and still go to play baseball games or whatever. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so another thing I wondered. So you keep talking about like how guests you have on. How did mm -hmm. you originally pick guests and people to come on? Yeah, I mean, first it was just my buddy Hamza because he's the one who had the audio equipment. I mean, he's a DJ. Or he um, was. I think he hung his DJ hat up a little while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he may, he may, I mean, he did a few mixes. I'm getting off topic, but the point is he has a bunch of audio equipment because he does like to record. He's a musician. He like does covers of songs and he it has done like a few DJ mixes here and there, but he has all this equipment. And I was like, Hey man, you'd be, are you down? Do you want to do this with me? He was like, sure. So we just did it. Um, but from there, my ideal goal would be to actually get, like professionals working in the field, which honestly I already accomplished because you were on my podcast, but Aww. I guess, my, yeah. But like my goal is to keep that going, like more, more people who are counselors, more therapists, more like community providers to get their perspective. If you want people, I literally have a whole discord of certified geek therapists. Like there's hundreds of people in it. That, that would be great. I mean, if you just, if you want to drop a link in there and be like, Hey, do y'all want to be featured? And like, hook me up with them i'm i'm game yeah i'm literally loading it right now uh because <laughs> i was like easy to do okay Whatever. i'll type it up later never mind <laughs> focus on this yeah but yeah it's no super rush. easy like i could do it and they love booking far out in advance so if you're planning on after you move and you book now easy peasy kind of like how i did because i know everyone's busy yeah great but yeah but no, I'm so glad that you ended up actually thinking of a podcast and having it come to fruition. Mm -hmm. I am too, because in I'm sure other people have said this or something along these lines, but being stuck at home during COVID times, less so now that I'm vaccinated, I am seeing my family a little bit more often, but I'm mm -hmm. still at home for the most part. You know, last summer I was like, well, I do. I mean, I was able to work from home. You know, I didn't get furloughed, nothing. I, I still had my income. So I was like, well, what can I do with my free time that, like, would be super fun and I think would be constructive? And that's yeah. – the, the time and place aligned because of that. Which isn't to say that COVID is a great thing. It's not. It sucked. But, like, we good can come from it. Oh, yes. So many podcasts actually came to fruition. You know, a study just happened. And really? only, like – 3% of podcasts make it like over six episodes and mm. only 10% of podcasts make two. Oh, wow. Like people kind of just give up and fizzle out, but there's over like 10,000 podcasts, like fully, like here's the description, here's the logos, but like some of them, most of them just never have 
that, but no, it's 10,000 might be the people that actually do it of like the millions. But anyways, point is you get the percentages ish. Yeah. Sarah Nichols, everyone tweeted it. That's where I learned it. So go okay. find us Sarah's stuff. Oh, I'm actually Sarah with an H Nicholas without an H. Okay. And what is her podcast about? Uh, here, everyone, let's just do the thing. Hey, okay. everyone. So queries, qualms, and quirks ask published authors to share their successful query letters and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. Author hmm. Sarah Nicholas interviews authors of all genres about how to get how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, find it on YouTube, or go to Sarah Nicholas, that's Sarah with an H, and Nicholas with no H to learn more. This sounds super handy. It is. Sarah is just someone that knows everyone. So Sarah had her episode already, so you already met her people, but in order, just in case you didn't watch that episode, Sarah knows everyone and everything about publishing, it seems. Okay. Because along with like her just being in the industry for so long, like multi-genres, multi-pen names, like all this stuff, multiple books out. She also is like the agent liaison for Pitch Wars and has been working for Pitch Wars hmm. for like 10 years. So if you don't know what Pitch Wars is, everyone, it's like this mentorship program that like thousands of people do every year. And you get paired with someone who's published and they help like tweak your manuscript for a year, not a year, for like, it's like October to like, Around Valentine's Day, there's an agent showcase where everyone just gets to be like, hey, agents, who wants mm-hmm. to to pick up me and help me work? Um, big people that came out of it was like Blood and Bone by Tony Amietti. And oof, I have opinions about that. But uh, yeah, just lots of people, famous people have come out of it. And Sarah is like in with all those people. And Sarah also has a show called Pub Talk Live which is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Host Sarah Nicholas is joined in each episode by different guests to talk about all aspects of the book publishing industry, including its intersections with other media and libraries. Find out more at pubtalk.live. There you go. Well, I might actually check it out. I mean, maybe not every episode because, uh, I mean, I'm not big on, on publishing and stuff but if i see a name i recognize i'm like oh i want to hear that story i might actually because oh, yeah, you read a ton i do all right try to right now i'm reading this book here let me i think it's called the secret lives of colors by here give me one second i'm gonna go get it oh good well i'll edit that out everyone <laughs> yeah so definitely just burp into the mic sorry give us like a five second countdown before we start again so i know where to edit sure okay so it is it's called the secret lives of color um Ooh, it's pretty. it is pretty by cassia st Clair, who from what i gather was some kind of a fashion blogger i'm not clear on what her specific role was in the fashion industry but she started this blog about different colors, like really niche. Like names of colors pigment came from and how they made it and any salacious thing that happened. And then she was like, I'm going to write a book about this. So it's like a catalog of colors Mm -hmm. and it's like broken down by like shades. So she has like a whole chapter on yellow. I and then she'll tell a story all the okay. weird and fabulous things that kind of happen in history. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. I'm having a long, uh, a lot of fun reading it. 
And this, like most books nowadays, I got as a recommendation from my partner because if she reads even more than I do, and she reads like a mile a minute, she reads so quickly. So she was mm -hmm. like, read this one, read this one, read this one. And I'm like, okay. Um, but they're all interesting. I don't think all her Oof, you are popping in and out. Recommendations, just the ones that seem. Yeah, oh, man. I see you now. You kind of yeah. froze there a little for me, too. Okay. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear and see you now. Okay, yeah. But basically, my partner Maya gives me most of my book recommendations. Nice. Okay, so speaking of you are super into reading, I also know you're a super geek, <laughs> like many of the people who come on. What are your fandoms? Of course. Oh, man, I mean, the number one fandom of all time for me is Batman. Huge really? fan of the animated Okay, you cut series out. From, from the 90s. Um, and I've read a, a few, quite a few comic books. Not necessarily the same writer. Multiple writers, multiple artists, but all Batman. Like, if you look at my bookshelf, I have, like, a few comic books that aren't Batman, but most of them are Batman. And... I, I like, I, I, uh, so that's my number one fandom. Is that why you're in the Bat Cave right now? Pretty much, pretty much. I like to call this the Bat Cave because there's not a lot of natural light where I am. I mean, the camera is really shitty, so it looks like it's darker than it really. For those who cannot see, which is everyone, like it's it is, super but even dark so, even if I live, I live in the Bat Cave. Yeah. Okay, so you're in it the really, Bat. It really is. It really is. I thought your number one fandom was yeah. Avatar. It's up there. I would say that's like number two or three. Okay. I love Avatar. I mean, that's one That's one of those things that, I mean, I started watching it when I was like in sixth grade. When yeah, it was when it like came out. out. Yeah, when it came out. And then I was like too cool for school for it. But then I like rediscovered it in high school as the third season was coming out. And I, was, I got back into it. I'm like, man, this is a really great show. It's like not just for kids. And then, like, over the years, like, every couple of years, I'll rewatch it, and I'll think the exact same thing. I'm like, wow, there were so many layers to this show that I didn't realize last time I watched it. Mm -hmm. And I just watched it from beginning to end last summer, again, because of all this COVID-free time. And it's just like, Mwah. it's so excellent. It's so good. It's a, such a great show. It's a great show, and just the themes, and... Just a lot of it's a good show. Like I know most people have watched it by now, but there's still some of you out there who haven't. So go watch Avatar: The Last Airbender, and then go watch The Legend of Korra. Yeah, like I would say, if you have any interest in, oop, you cut out again. Even probably love this. Say it again. Oh, you cut out as if you have any interest in, and that's all. Oh, we okay. I would say, yeah, I would say. If you have any interest in fantasy storytelling at all whatsoever, you would probably love this show. If you're into media literacy at all, you'll love this show. The fight choreography is superb. The choreography is amazing. Um, yeah. I do have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Which is better, Aang's story or Korra's story? Unfortunately, I have to say Aang. And I say unfortunately just because I like Korra as a character a lot. Mm -hmm. I find they're more relatable than Aang in many ways. But the problem is that Aang's story was conceived from beginning to end before mm -hmm. they started making the show. Whereas Korra's story, they kind of made up as they went along. So it's just not as good. 
and it's just not as epic. Like the fate of the world doesn't depend on like Korra's personal journey the way that the fate of the world depended on Aang's personal journey. You know, so it's just not as good. See, I disagree. You think so? really? Why? I totally disagree, and I know I'm the minority. Korra was such a better story. I think Korra went there all the time with all the topics. Uh, I think even though it wasn't the whole weight of the world, there was a new threat each time. And the whole story was kind mm-hmm. of just about how, like, no matter what you do, stuff's going to come up and you got to deal with it. I suppose. I mean, they may have been a little too heavy handed with it at times because, I, okay, so I'll, I'll give you it's this. It's not a kid's show. I will it's, always say that. It's definitely not. Oop, you cut out again. Not in the same way that, that just take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt because I, watched, mm-hmm. I said take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt because I watched Korra as it was coming out and I only ever watched every episode once and that's it. Oh. Recently, when it came on Netflix, I rewatched season one and then I was like, okay, I don't need to watch anymore. So I haven't rewatched seasons two, three, or four. So what happened to me is I watched seasons one through three okay, and then I, I had to go hunt down season four. Because yeah. I think that's like, we were in college. We were in college, and I remember, I specifically have a memory that they stopped airing it on television. And it For was season three. And yeah. that's when I was able to watch it. It was when season three hopped on the Nick.com. But yeah. to be fair, some of the things that happened in season three, I think they did it because it was not appropriate for the channel. Probably. that. Pro- I think that's probably a big factor as to why they took it off the air. Because towards the end, it really, it's a little disturbing, like, with, in spoilers, I guess for everyone who hasn't seen it, but the things that the red Lotus does are really horrific. Yeah. Choking the earth queen, the death. And then the things they do to torturing her and shit is. Yeah. They strangled her or suffocated her, I guess. Yeah. Um, Iron maidening an exploding head. Like, yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Now actually that I think about it. Electrocuting octopus lady. Yeah. Like, like really a funny. lot happened. And, like, that was after season one, which season one, I was like, holy cow, Amon is scary. <laughs> Amon is probably one of the most scary villains in anything I've actually he ever watched. Follow up the original series. Yeah. And I think what was really clever about Amon is that that original series ends with Aang taking away the Fire Lord's bending, right? Mm-hmm. They don't really explain that, which is fine. They don't have to. Heroic. And they like turned it on its head for Amon, which is what made him so scary. So, so I really like that. I was so deep in the Korra fandom in the yeah. beginning that I called Korra Sami in the first Korra as a Sami appearance. There's literal like archives on DeviantArt of people do, like people pulling it up for me because I was so like those two are a thing. And everyone's like, Nanny, nah, she's with Mako. I'm like, look, I'll be f- honest, Mako's great. I would prefer Mako over everyone in the cast, but Korra and Asami, there's something about them. But also, I thought Amon was someone totally different. Go ahead. Kaya was the greatest waterbender, the waterbender to the greatest waterbender, right? Mm-hmm. And if Tenzin was the, the literal only other airbender in the world, mm-hmm. it would have been very easy for Bumi to have been like left behind. Right. But who says he couldn't have inherited energy bending? Hmm. Interesting. So if you had the son of Aang running around, taking away people's spending, using his dad's power, I thought that would have been a great arc and a great villain. Yeah, actually, I can see that. That would have been cool. And it would have been a really cool storytelling opportunity when, like, Tenzin comes up to him with, right, has to confront him and, like, Kaya 
Akia, Kaya? Kaya. But Kaya, Kaya wasn't in season one. And Boomy she only wasn't. came in at the very end, which is yeah. why I thought it was him. I was like, oh my god, it's Boomy because Boomy hasn't been seen. I think it would have been a really cool storytelling opportunity, actually. Mm-hmm. Kind of and then it would be the and they kind of delved into this into season two, but not as strong. I think the whole theme of like Aang being held up as such a hero, but then like he wasn't maybe the best father to the three of them. Yeah. Because of like all his responsibilities. I think they could have emphasized that theme even more if one of his children was the villain. Yes. And I, I thought Kai what Kai said was really correct in that scene in season two. Because Tenzin was like, I had to carry the weight of the whole Air Nation on me. And Kaya's like, we're all half Air Nation. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, that's so true. Just because you don't dress like it or have wear your hair like it, I totally forgot. Yeah. So true. And and that's why they built so much resentment, right? Because like, Aang didn't share really any of that part of his heritage with his other children. When like, why not? You totally should have. They're your kids. It's better odds. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, right? Better odds for the culture to survive. If you Before should. harmonic convergence changed the balance of the world, every airbender would have been part water tribe. Right. Right. Yeah. And so 100%. there was just like all this stuff they could have went into. Season two was by far the worst season, but it was still actually interesting when you rewatch it. Yeah, I haven't rewatched it. I mean, I remember liking the episodes about Avatar One. Mm-hmm. I'm not liking them, but and again, I haven't rewatched them. But I, I saw this video essay on on those episodes from Hello Future Me, who's one of my oh, favorite YouTubers. Me and him have talked many times. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I was a Patreon for him yeah. for a long time. Well, then you must have seen this this video too, the one where he talks about Avatar. I'm one. in his one one of his videos actually. Really? Like I'm not like in in, but he his first psychology video, like he okay. was like, "Hey, anyone have a psych background that could like help read through this?" I was like, "Yeah, me." <laughs> so oh. like i'm thanked in one of the videos specifically oh, awesome awesome i love that sorry yeah. no no no, no, but no no worries <laughs> i mean basically what he what he says in this video essay is that it, that it's pretty much the worst possible placement in the season for those episodes to be because it grinds the story to a halt it does yeah and then it like doesn't really influence the story that much going forward so it's like why they could have just done a movie to tell his story, right? Like they could have done like, you mean like what they just announced they're going to do? Exactly. Exactly. something like that would have been a lot more effective to tell one story. And like, there's a secret book that came out apparently too, about the avatar after Korra. Really? I don't know if it was like a fan theory that I like hay fever dream that I thought was canon, <laughs> but like it was about Korra being like Korra's cut off from the rest of the line. Right. Right. So right. it was about Korra writing down everything she could remember and everything about her life and basically making like an avatar Bible. And it wow. was about the next, like, Avatar reading all of Korra's shit and all the shit Korra could remember about the other people. That's actually a really interesting story. That's really yeah. cool. But I also saw another... This one was actually a fan theory. People were begging, like, can the next Avatar, the Earth Avatars, be twins? Hmm. One gets That'd the spiritual side, one gets the, like, actual bending. That would be fun. Which Buffy the Vampire Slayer did first. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, kind yeah, of Because, a, like, in the comics, bad. like, Frey in the future so no i've never read the the buffy comics um i remember seeing the show when i was a kid but that's another show i would love to revisit at some point Ooh. I, feel like, I feel like i would really appreciate it more now I, oh i think meant for your podcast i was like there's a lot of things to talk about if you do oh. people have dissertations on it i'm sure i'm sure and, and it's like just weeding is kind of a problematic character right now i mean some weird things 
and back that, then that he's done have come out and back then right but i mean i feel like i would still be able to enjoy the product anyways you know as long as i could be sure he wasn't like profiting too much from it i feel like i would enjoy watching buffy again yeah it was a great show yeah. and yeah, that's I, pretty much my fandoms i mean my other fandom is harry potter i'm really into oh, that yeah i forgot yeah you are a potter head yeah did you Which, were you I can't remember. Did you wind up reading the fan fiction I wrote? I read the first chapter. That's what you sent yeah. us. Yeah. I only ever did the one chapter. I dabbled in it. I was like, this was fun. Great. And then just kind of put it away. Who knows? Maybe when I retire someday, I'll revisit. But it was fun while it lasted. Yeah. And it was, you were, your quality was very nice. But also, I was like, you know, this doesn't surprise me because you've done research. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, like, people, if you know psych, when you're doing research, your writing has to be up to the game. Like, it is everything. Right. You have to have the clearest quality and somewhat, like, the most monotone voice, I think, half the time, which is why I never was excelling in my psych essays, except for the fact that, like, all the topics and info was correct. But my professors were like, good thing you're never, because when you go into psych, it's such a broad field. Everyone's like, why are you here? Yeah. Because <laughs> you are going to not be able to do anything without going further. Mm-hmm. And so everyone knows what everyone's up to. And so I was always like, I just want to be a school counselor. And they're like, oh, good. So when they would read my <laughs> essays, they'd be like, oh, my God, stick to school. Yeah. You would have such the hardest time getting in through dissertation. I was like, oh, I know. And I'm not trying. Yeah. Yeah, it's not for everybody. And you're right. And I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why I kind of chose to put my creative energy in into this podcast rather than this fanfic. Because I think you're right. I think my style in general is so that. Mm-hmm dry but not uninteresting right like i wouldn't right. say i'm a boring writer but it is very like systematic and like organized in this way that it just it just really lends itself maybe not as much to fiction but more to like this kind of format i mean i wouldn't have said like because your fan fiction really wasn't bad we right. got a lot of information in a lot of subtle ways and i think that comes through basically how much you read yeah and that's why people are always constantly reading like my goal this year was to read a book ish a month uh-huh i failed <laughs> oh no <laughs> I failed April, but I said ish. So I'm yeah. catching up right now. Cool. Well, what have you read? A Lady of Rivers, which was by okay. Philippa Gregory, which is by Jaquetta of Luxembourg, uh, mm -hmm. famed lady of the War of the Roses era of England. Hmm. Then I read Bl The Bone Crier's Moon, or just Bone Crier's Moon? I don't remember. Okay. Then I read Serpent and Dove, which, hmm. oh my God, life changing. And also, the sequel came out, like, last August, so I started reading that, and that's what I'm currently reading. The third book in the series comes out, like, in a month. Oh, man. So you're, like, sick of it. And Bone Crier's Moon, the sequel came out, like, April 1st. So, so I've never read those books, but I've heard of some of them, and I think the reason why is because there's this other booktuber who I follow called Murphy Napier. Are you familiar mm -hmm. Oh, no, not at all, but... No, okay. You should check her out. I mean, if you're looking for book recommendations, and, and, and sometimes she does fantasy as well. Mm -hmm. So if you want to look for new fantasy stories and, and kind of new fandoms, she might be good for you. Okay, well, everyone... I'll link you to a video right now. In fact, uh, commit that to memory or whatever. What's yes. the line? Got it memorized? Oh, yeah, just commit <laughs> it to memory yeah. is, like, the Japanese direct translation. So, how, got it memorized. How did I forget? Everyone. That's my other fandom, Kingdom Hearts. How yeah, I know. Go? As I was thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, you're super into Kingdom Hearts, too. I am. I am. And Digimon. I be honest, yeah, I gotta be honest. 
I find, and who knows if this is true, but just kind of off the cuff, I find that people who like Kingdom Hearts are like in one of two camps. Some just like playing the game and some just like the story. And there's very little overlap. Of course, there's some, but that's kind of my observation. And if that's true, I would put myself more in like the gameplay camp. Because like, I oh, follow no. I'm, the I'm the story. I know. I know you are because that's your, that's your bag. But like, I followed the lore. But it just, it stopped making sense so long ago. And it's just like, I can't get into it if it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I made friends who are super into the lore. Because they explained it to me. And they explained it so many times. Like, it was it was basically osmosis repetition. Right. That I basically understand it now, but I cannot explain it to people. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, uh, I don't, let's not go down this road. I don't want to explain the Kingdom Hearts role. Like, what, what do we do? I don't, but... I kind of hear you like it makes it makes sense if you suspend your disbelief to like the 12th degree but like mm -hmm. the story in the three uh i had low expectations but even that failed to meet my low expectations i three almost ru three ruined the series for me yeah like now it doesn't matter if people die people can just come back to life whenever they want like come and on. not only that it was just such and i had this fight with a lot of like other people they're like danny you have nostalgia glasses on for two i'm like no two had excellent pacing it did actually three had horrible pacing well, terrible pacing but danny all the kingdom hearts games has a gauntlet at the end i was like but not this way yeah and there was more to do in two yeah, I mean, in 3, it just kind of felt like they were just going from Disney World to Disney World, like, just because, like, that's what these games are about, right? But they didn't really have, like, a core reason. Like, in 1, it's because Sora's trying to prevent, you know, other words to, from falling to the darkness, like, his mm -hmm. world. Right? It's, like, this really altruistic thing, which is really cool. And he's also looking for his friends. And in 2, it's, like, kind of like in 1, it's, like, well, we have to stop the Organization 13 from, like, you know, fucking people over in these worlds. And also I'm looking for my friends. So, okay. It's like a little repetitive, but whatever I can get on board. And in three, it's just like, we're going to a different Disney world because we're contractually obligated to like, they didn't really have a good reason, you know? Yeah, there was well, kind of. And like, they teased the new seven princesses of heart. And I thought we were going to dive into that. We never did. Not um, really. We never did. No. And we never got Elsa as a party member. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was very disappointed by that. I thought that that could have been a really cool opportunity to do, you know, because like in two, one of the things that I really loved was the limits. Well, number one, because they're really fun to use. And it's just like, it's just a fun game to play. But also like they, they have so much character in them. Like each limit is like so unique, unique and indicative to that character. Like Jack's limit, like Jack, Sp not Jack yeah. Sparrow, I'm um, Jack Skellington. Skellington. They're like dancing. They're having. They're doing like a musical dance number, and it's like that's totally evocative of the movie that this character comes from. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like an opportunity to like instill the Disney shit into it, and I love that. But they didn't really do that in three. Three was its own thing. I hate. I was so excited for Big Hero Six, and I hated the world in the end. Like, why didn't we have Hero as a character, as a player? I mean, like as a party member. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, what would be really cool if, if you got Baymax and heroes party members and heroes whole thing was how like he calls different members from big hero six to do different attacks. Like that'd be so sick. It would have been instead of going yeah, around town really saving them. Yeah. It was so stupid. It was just, man, now I'm getting upset. 
See, this is it's why okay. I don't bring up my Kingdom Hearts fandom because it's like, oh man, I have so much love for it, and then it's like so much disappointment too, you know? So drop your comments in this comment <laughs> section, or you could just email at the shape of the star podcast or a star podcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts because I would love to know them. But to put Chesco in a better mood, we sure. are going to ask, you are constantly cooking amazing things. Oh. What inspired you to do so? And where do you find all these recipes? And like, I spelled the recipes totally wrong. I put recopies. <laughs> um, but like, you have all these recipes and you're always posting food. Like, talk to me about your food journey. Yeah. So this also goes back to my mom. <laughs> go figure. Um, but really, if we trace that even further back. So my family is a very unique. I mean, as with every family, but my family is a very unique story. And my one of the most important people in my life was my great aunt. Her name was Nettie, uh, Nettie Garcia. And the way she came into the family was she was my grandmother's best friend. Mm-hmm. She's not blood, but she, uh, through happenstance and lots of dramatic things that happened in her life, wind up when she was like 20-something. And my grandmother was just about to marry my granddad. Mm-hmm. My great aunt, Nettie who was like super tight with my grandmother. They were basically like, come move in with us. Cause she didn't have anywhere else to go. So she mm-hmm. moved in with my grandparents and then helped raise my mom and her three younger sisters. So she raised my mom and my aunts. And then again, through kind of happenstance, my dad came to the U S before we did. Ah, yeah. So he came in 1998. Oh, okay. Oh wait, yeah. no, that's not that bad of a well, time right. gap. Okay. Yeah, it's about a four-year time gap um, mm-hmm. between the ages of five and nine, which is significant, like, at the time. Like, if you just say four years, it doesn't seem that bad. But, you know, I was little. That's high um, school. Yeah, pretty much. And so my great-aunt, at the time, she had her own place. She no longer lived with my grandparents. But she was like, once my dad left, she was like, why don't you guys move in with me so that I can help help you take care of the kids? And she did. So then she raised me and my brother. And, like, she loved to cook. Mm-hmm. Right, she loved to cook, and it wasn't just that she just did it as a day-to-day thing. She also did it for everyone. She did it for the whole clan. She did it for all the neighbors. We would have like these get-togethers. She would come over, and she would just loved having people like be in the kitchen with her and and treating them. So my mom kind of inherited that from her, and then I inherited that from my mom. It's kind of like how we show affection. Yeah, which yeah. is super common in every culture but i really feel like cultures that's not america too yeah for the most i mean in in don't get me wrong like hospitality through food i have seen that in many american families but like not in the same way it's not the same like because the focus is in the eating not the preparing and like the giving of it exactly and that's like the whole thing because this leads right into my next question too because so you have like the immigrant experience kind of like me mm-hmm. but so we have like this unique outlook in like it's very complicated for me like, yeah because of just like how my adoption was so i am technically an immigrant but my dad's also an immigrant okay. so people think i'm just first gen and mixed but i'm not technically and i kind of grew up like in a first gen way but like still like immigrant ing still because that's just how, what my whole dad's side view was of the world yeah and just like legally like i had to go through a bunch of different things Okay. Oh God, getting a driver's license was a whole issue for me. Was it for you? Kinda. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like you grew up in a liminal space. Um, you know, kind of stuck in between. And in some ways, I did too. In some ways, I mean, 
I'll say this. I identify as Peruvian, like mm-hmm. not Peruvian American. And I think part of the reason why is because, well, my experiences come before I even came here. And then when I, when I was actually here, because I remember when I, I didn't want to come actually, my brother and I didn't really want to come because all our family was in Peru. Right. It makes sense. And who wants to move to a different country at that age? Right. And we, we were relatively well off and we still are, but compared to a lot of people I met in college and and have met since then, you know, even though I'm technically a first gen college student because I'm the first person when my brother went to college here too, technically Mm -hmm. we're the first generation of college students in the U S but my parents went to college in our country. Yeah. So like I am and I'm not, um, I think that we were privileged in that like my parents went to college they had really good jobs they came here because they thought they could make more money which is true with their professions mm-hmm. um but it's not the typical immigrant experience kind of because of that and we came knowing english it was actually i went to a private school when i was living in peru and it was mandatory to learn english it was look like at you <laughs> literally living up like ugh, the ritzy life in peru and that's that's what i'm saying man because it, it, what was weird was we were in a relatively privileged position there Mm-hmm. We come here and we were relatively in a not so privileged position, but not because of anything of our own doing, but just because of like the society around us. Yeah. And so I was coming with the baggage of like, I didn't want to come because of my family's here. Um, but my mom and my dad, to their credit, they did a lot of work and kind of preparing my brother and I and being like, well, this is so the fam- the four of us can be together, you know, and this is going to be like ultimately for our good. And it has been. But it was still hard. And like, you know, I remember, you know, getting a lot of ignorant comments, honestly, early on, mm-hmm. you know, like I remember my fourth grade teacher, his name was Mr. Carpenter. He was this big obese dude from Alabama. Oh, and he talked like he was from Alabama and he thought like the stereotype of a person who's from Alabama. So like he would constantly like, it, it, and he knew a little Spanish, right? So he would, I, I knew English well enough to like get around but he mm-hmm. would constantly like assume that i didn't know it and would like condescend to me in spanish it was just really annoying frankly it, it didn't tear down my self-esteem or anything but i just remember thinking like why are you such an asshole yeah you know and i was gonna ask too yeah, yeah go, go on. No, no no go ahead oh i was just gonna say were you in esl i was for like six months okay I was in ESL for six months and the ESL teacher noticed like, well, you're farther along than these kids. So like, let me give you like this reading material and stuff. And when I came, I wasn't fluent a hundred percent. Like the story I like to tell is that, okay. So in Spanish, when you say the name of a year, you have to say the whole thing. Yes. Right? So what, the year I'm born in Spanish is 1993. Mm-hmm. So you literally have to say 1,993. Yep, makes sense. Sorry, right. I took like 10 years of Spanish. I don't know if you knew that, so yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually, because I've never heard you speak Spanish. Because I don't that well. Oh, I could type in Spanish. There you go. But but so, like, I think the perfect example of how I was just below fluent is how when people would ask me my birthday, I was I would be like, oh, I was born on June 21st, 1993, and they were like, what they're looking at like, crazy. like what the fuck are you talking about and then after like a couple months i built the habit of oh you abbreviated you know what i'm saying so i was almost fluent and it took me like six months to really get, like learn all the idioms and stuff yeah yeah i don't know if acclimate is the right word but yeah yeah i think so okay 
But no, okay, so you have a similar experience to my dad more than me, I would say. Okay. Because my dad was eight when he moved here, but he turned nine like a month after. And he turned, uh, I'm sorry, not, okay, he turned nine, but where was he coming from? Hong Kong. Oh, okay, cool. So like, again, there's English there, but like not a lot because they were, it was a British colony still. Right. But, and so my dad was like, we apparently, <laughs> my dad used to like to say we had a maid. And then I come to find out, he, like, apparently my grandparents, like, owned buildings in Hong Kong. So oh. they were, like, the landlords of all these places. And then they moved to America. They lived in Flushing. No, they oh, didn't move to Lord. Flushing. They lived, yeah, they moved to Queens. Cool. Like, Forest Hills. Okay. And so my dad, my dad actually didn't speak too, too much English. Mm-hmm. So he, I don't even know if he was an ESL, because when he moved to America... The mentality in Hong Kong was only the Catholic schools are the good schools. Okay, mm. and this is also like in the 1960s people, so who knows what it, it is now. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then he went straight into Catholic school. I don't know mm. if they had ESL programs, but like when people hear my dad and they don't assume he even knows Chinese, they just assume he's from New York mm. based on like how he speaks until they hear him switch to Chinese. That's so also, interesting. Yeah, but like, so you and my dad moved at around the same age. Yeah. I don't know if he was pro going. And also my dad and his, my dad, my uncle, and my grandparents were the last of the family to move Hmm. to America because so like we jump back another generation, my great grandpa. So my dad's dad's dad was like a polygamist back when it was legal in China. Okay. So like he had three wives, the first, it was a whole thing. Wow. So my grandpa was the only son at the time, except for the one that was born after but my grandpa was the only kid born from the third wife. Okay. But everyone else moved already to America. Oh. And my grandpa was the last holdout in Hong Kong. Wow. So what, like they had the family here because everyone was moving over like 10 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know too, too much about like that side of the family because they, the older generation doesn't speak English. The newer gener, the younger generation, like my dad's age, they like to keep up their Chinese by only speaking Chinese, and because mm. I'm monolingual, I say and only speak English, so like I have no idea what they're ever talking about until mm. I hear my name randomly. Yeah, and I mean that's so interesting what you're talking about because, it, like, you're drawing these parallels between your dad and, and and me, and there are certainly some parallels to the experience. And I think about my experience, kind of compared with yours. And while there was some liminality in yours, I think to kind of circle back to what I was saying, part of the reason why I ultimately feel Peruvian more than anything else is because I do still speak the language. Mm-hmm. I speak Spanish fluently, and that was very intentional. Like we spoke Spanish in my house all growing up, even while we were here, and we still do. When I go home, I talk. When I talk to my parents, they speak to them in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I hope you know to instill that in my children. I hope my children speak Spanish. All right, and. I think for as annoying as some of the discrimination was initially and annoying as some of the challenges of kind of learning, learning the ropes, um, you know, like all the institutional stuff that we didn't know going into this, all the workplace stuff, all the documentation stuff we didn't know going into this for as painful as it was to learn. It's made me more proud. Rather, yes. Yeah. Rather than be ashamed of my background, it's made me more proud of my background. And I'm actually really grateful for that. I totally get what you mean. Yeah. Because knowing a lot of different people, like it's really what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. Like you stand the test, you learn more about yourself yeah. when you experience that stuff than you do about other people. Like obviously you're learning about other people and how to operate in the world, but it, it's identity formation. For sure. 
and like adversity forms identity and it's like the human growth within it. So yes, I didn't experience it through that way. My stuff was with like gay stuff, but and yeah. some adoption stuff like, but no, I totally get what you're saying. It's like all the stuff you go through helps me solidify who I am more. For sure. And, and you know, it's funny you say that because that there are some interesting parallels between being queer and being an immigrant mm-hmm. and, and who am I to say, because I don't identify as queer. Right, like yeah. I identify as heterosexual, but just from like hearing some of my friends talk, it just seems like you know people try to put you in this box if they don't know like who you are or they don't really know that much about your background. And something about the way you react to people trying to put you in a box, I think, is kind of where, where we can find common ground. You know? Well, I lash out very aggressively, and that's how I ended up in therapy. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Because. Because there's so many boxes for me too, and nice. everyone has a million boxes. Ones. Like yeah. so much, and like, like this could be its own episode because this it is really such a topic be. that everyone always is asking me about. Like, well, what's it like being a blank? And the blank is never the same. And then I yeah. always have to go like, okay, let's circle back. <laughs> let's yeah, circle like, back. No identity is a monolith, bro. Like everybody's a little bit different. Yep, and a lot of my identity, I know exactly where it comes from because psych self self-reflection i know half of the stuff i go through is because of like four generations back in my family yeah <laughs> so i'm like okay well we have to go back to 18 something <laughs> let me write you a dissertation about where this trauma comes from yeah because you actually, could. and people i'm sure people have i haven't read any but i'm sure you really could trace it back that way mm-hmm. but also like my great-grandpa the one i was just mentioning the polygamous guy mm-hmm. born the year after the civil war ended oh Wow. So, like, two generations ahead, like, of my life is right there. Wow. That's so, and you know, I'm glad we're doing this too, because, you know, you and you and I, like, we, we get along well because of our mutual love of, of some of these fandoms, but it's really cool to hear about your family story because I've never really told you mine. You, you've never really told me yours. So, I'm actually really mm-hmm. grateful to be listening to this right now. Me too. And that's why I love having people come on here because, like, we've known each other for what, a decade now? <laughs> just about oh, yeah. we're coming up on 10 years and we've never had this conversation yeah. so hopefully we inspire others i would hope so and i hope we keep this going just it, it, you know when we when we hang out and stuff because you're right like it, it, this is another thing that i've kind of learned from covid like you know so many people who i used to ha- hang out with like a lot mm-hmm. we, we like stopped hanging out and like we kind of stopped being in touch and i'm like oh man i thought we were tight but then i thought about it and i'm like well I thought we were tight because we spent a lot of time together, but the yeah. quality of that time wasn't necessarily like super deep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it just made me really value the relationships that I do have where we really know each other super well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah valued yeah. and deep. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and um, I could cook like for you for once. Cause I finally figured out how to make wontons. Ooh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to having some of your wontons, man. Yeah. Although I will say you have to cook them and eat them immediately. They don't travel well. Okay. But it's really easy to cook them because it's just chicken stock. You boil it and you throw them in. Cool. So I could like pre-prep it. So whenever that happens, hopefully before you move. For sure. Yeah, that's that's coming up. And, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of people who are like, we have to hang out before you leave. But I'm, gonna, I'm trying to make time for everybody. I move July 7th. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no pressure. But if we do, wontons are waiting. Uh, <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. 
So, wow. Well, good. I'm glad we got back to food. We were going through the immigrant experience, and now we're talking about your move. So what's the thing you're most excited about for California? Oh, that's so tough. I'm excited about so many things. I mean, I am sad to leave, of course. I, But I'm, I feel like I will be more sad once I've actually left. Right now, I'm just excited because I've been living in, like, the Northern Virginia area since I came to the States. So I'm, like, ready to get out, honestly. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm excited for the weather. For sure. I'm excited for the food. For sure. I'm excited to be moving in with my girlfriend just because we've been talking about it for a while and it's finally going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to be in school again because I'm a huge geek and I love school. <laughs> so I'm super, I'm super psyched for that. But I'm, um, I think the thing I'm most excited about is, is kind of carving out my own journey. Mm-hmm. which sounds vague, but, but what I mean is like, I've been thinking I, back, you, you I, know, to, I'm going to type what I think you're going to say. Okay. Because sure, I, because I want to show you like, and see if what I think is right. Because again, I think this okay, comes so from like mutual understanding. All right. Type it up. Let me know when you're done. Okay. You can, oh, here, give me a second. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. So Danny wrote his prediction. All right. Let me hit you with this. So I've been thinking a lot about, you know, we were just talking about my experience coming to the U S I've been reflecting. And just as I said, my parents were very supportive then and they are now, Mm -hmm. but it still wasn't really my choice because I was a kid. Like I wasn't really in control of what we were going to do as a family for as much as they tried to make me feel like I was and I was in some ways, but now like nearly 20 years after the fact, this is something where I feel like I'm very much in control of my life. And, mm-hmm. and that feels really cool. And that feels really empowering in a way that makes me really excited. Okay. So I was somewhat right. So, so well, I- let me read your prediction. Okay. So you said, uh, I won't let me zoom in. Okay. It's identity formation and carving out because it's the building of the sacri- off of the sacrifices of the immigrant parents who wanted the next gen to be better for their kids and et cetera. It is tangentially related to that for sure. Yeah. So I was somewhat related because you started saying it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm right. And then you were like, no. Then you made it about, you made it selfish and about yourself. I'm kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's something I think about too, because I think about my grandparents mm-hmm. and just their sacrifices like they still don't like okay so my grandpa passed away like 10 years ago but he died not knowing english that well my grandma mm-hmm. not does not know english that well so mm-hmm. that super limits their life like in the states mm-hmm. and i'm like okay uh that sucks for you but look how we thrived the generations on so i thought yeah. you were gonna go down that route and don't get me wrong, I certainly do feel that way to an extent. I mean, my parents are super proud of me, and like, I'm gonna do my best to give back to them, you know, any way I can. Once I'm a rich doctor, <laughs> hey. But no, but on the real, I do want to give back because, like, my success, I I owe it first and foremost to them. Like, they're the ones who made me the man I am, dude, and my brother too. So, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to give back to them the best I can. Your brother is fine. He's like off living his European dreams. Oh, I know. Every time I tell somebody, they're like, yo, what? That's so cool. Like when I tell people that he lives in Italy, they imagine this really, and it is, it's fucking beautiful. Like all the pictures he sent me are like, holy shit. You live all in the a- pictures you post. Yeah. <laughs> like you live in like a fairy tale, but, it, but it, that shit is real. <laughs> <laughs> but no, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's had his struggles too, but it's, he's been there about 10 years now. And we're definitely seeing 
how it's paying off all his sacrifices, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm sure that he's going to want to give back to mom and dad too somehow. Okay. So I actually have no idea what he's even doing over there. <laughs> so he's in graduate or he was in graduate school over there and he now teaches English in multiple places. But one, one of them is, um, I think the Princeton Institute. He, I don't know if it's Princeton. No, Princeton's American Cambridge, Cambridge, because that's a European one. He works at Cambridge Institute where, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but in the U.S., mm-hmm. if you're like an international student, yep, you know how you have to t- take a test called a TOEFL, yeah, to prove that you're fluent in English. Mm-hmm. So in Europe, they have that, right? And it's those certification exams are handled by the Cambridge Institute. Oh, so his job is he prepares people of various ages. Like he works with teenagers, he works with grown adults. Like if they're gonna go to college or if they're gonna work somewhere in Europe where they need the English certification, he prepares them for those exams. I wonder if our cousin, if my cousin knows your brother. Really? Does he work in that? My cousin does not work for like the testing, but my cousin, he has been living in Brazil for like the past 40 years. Cool. But his yeah. whole thing is international admissions. Oh, cool. Now he like, so here's the game I play with him. Every time I think of a college, I'm like, Hey, who do you know here? He's known everyone at every American college and most wow. overseas colleges. Like he cool. knows someone everywhere because that's what he does. He does. He connects international admissions. That's really cool. Actually. So he knows people everywhere. He also speaks five languages. Like, Oh man. When I hear about jobs like that. I'm like, wow, what a life. Yeah. He really does live like a life. He's always traveling. He makes the best of friends. Like it just that whole side of the family is fascinating, but that's a different story. But yeah, so I wonder if they know each other because, like I said, my cousin knows everyone. Well, I wouldn't be shocked because my brother, I mean, he has, he's been teaching the entire time he's been there. Mm-hmm. And he's crossed paths with some famous Italian people, at least. Like he taught. Andrew Bocelli. Yeah. Like, I don't, Andre know Bocelli, know, I don't know if you know any like Italian soccer players, but he taught randomly. Uh, what was his name? Not Pirlo. God, what was his name? He was in the 2006 World Cup. I'm forgetting his name. Oh, he scored. Hold up. I know how to find him. He scored the winning goal. Who scored the winning <laughs> goal in the 2006 World Cup final for Italy? What's this motherfucker's name? Uh, give me a second. It's loading. What? Fabio Grosso. He taught Fabio Grosso, who's like this really famous Italian soccer player. He taught him English. Or practiced English, at least. Hey, it's still super cool. Yeah. All right. So, world. I mean, not world. Chesco, (laughs) to the world. Is there anything you want to tell them before we move on to rapid fire questions section? Uh, Well, first I want to tell you, thank you so much for your time. We've gone way over. And you have see your work cut out for you in terms of editing. But, uh, World, thank you for listening to me and my story and what I'm all about. Uh, this has been fun. I'm really glad I got to do this. All right. I'm super happy you came on, and I'm happy it, I got you on before you got super busy. Yeah, before my grad school life. Not even that. Before you got to have to marathon seeing people before you move. Oh, for sure. That's and then once up. you like dive into your own. So I really did this at a good time. Thanks, universe. For sure, for sure. All right, hit me with those rapid-fire questions. Okay. What are your chosen coping skills? Oh, running. Running. Really? I uh, didn't know you ran. 
Yeah, I like to. It's the uh, if I'm super stressed and I'm like all up here and I run, I just kind of feel like all my attention is in my body rather than like my head. So super helps running. Okay. Pick a side, Lancaster or York. Hmm. I don't know that I know enough about British royal history to pick a side here. You are the first person to know what that is, though. <laughs> well, at least I know what it is. But I'll just say York. Fuck it. I don't know. York. Where do you stand on the Oxford comma? You gotta hit them with the Oxford comma, son. Aren't you a fan of Vampire Weekend? You gotta hit them with the Oxford comma. <laughs> if I told you to bring a pie to pie day, what kind of pie would you bring? If I had to make it, I would bring a lemon meringue because I know how to make that. Ooh. I know how to make it really well. But if I was just requesting, if I was requesting someone to make like one of my favorites, I would ask for like some kind of chocolate peanut butter pie. Oh my God, my favorite. Uh <laughs> that's, my favorite. that's my favorite. What is an innocent phrase that you mistakenly or subconsciously weaponized? It's a really specific question. There's a reason. <laughs> uh, I mean, my lingo is just kind of all over the place. Um... I don't know. Can I pass? I don't know. If yeah, you can. Okay, Bilingual pass. life, though. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, what's a trend that went too far? What the, well, if I'm being honest, the first thing that came to my head was canceling. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could rule an established country or territory in this world, where and why? Oh, why'd you have to say in this world? Because I know what my audience... Yeah... <laughs> In the, in the real world uh i guess my country i would want to fix some things in peru we're, we're not doing so hot right now i would want to clean it up a little bit noble yeah if you were the pageant contestant or a large platform holder what would your philanthropy or cause be mm, suicide prevention nice oh you'll probably be the first person to get this easy what avatar nation would you come from Oh man. I mean, I have a temper, man. I have a temper. I think I would I might be fire. I might be That's fire. A stereotype. Nation. Yeah. <laughs> and my hair color's red. I don't know. I feel like I'd be fire nation. Nice. Who would play you in a documentary or movie about your life? Diego Luna. Who is that? <laughs> you don't know who that is? No. Did you see Rogue One? No. I'm Did not a see- sci-fi person. Oh, what else? Have you seen Dirty Dancing Havana Nights? Uh, yes, forever ago. Okay, well, the main lead, male lead in that... Is oh, he looks lead. so familiar. I've yeah. seen him in stuff. Yeah, he's famous. Yeah, I'm like not as handsome as he is, but I aspire to be, so... No, I think you're better looking than him. Oh, well, thank you. No, like, by far. Um, <laughs> uh, and last one. What is your ideal five minutes of fame... Man, if I got famous off this podcast, that would be really nice. Everybody go check out the Cinephile podcast. You can find oh, it yours. <laughs> on SoundCloud. No, on my my podcast. Yeah. Or you can find it on SoundCloud and you can find me on Instagram at hey look it's Chesco. Uh yeah. Check it out. You'll learn something new and you'll be entertained. You really will learn something new. Even I learned new stuff, and I was supposed to be the expert coming on. Because <laughs> that's how good you research. Thank you. Thank you, dude. Oh my God, you're going to hate me. Do you know how I know Diego Luna? How do you know Diego Luna? He was in Katy Perry's music video, the one that got away. 
Oh, I don't even know that about him. So yep, he was the male know. lead. Okay, well, he's he was in the Princess Bride too. Was he? I don't know. Okay, maybe he wasn't. He was in like a documentary about it afterwards. Oh, he was in the new one. Oh, oh, the one that they did during the pandemic. Yeah. Oh my god, I remember I saw a commercial for that, but I didn't watch the whole thing. He was Inigo Montoya. I don't know. I never saw Princess Bride. I mean, that's one of those cultural things. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a, that good of a movie, but like, I think it's because you had an older brother. I did. I did have an older brother, and that's that movie's from like the eighties. So that's yeah. probably how I know it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's the age, and we're a little. Yeah, he's four years older. Yeah. We were the age of Power Rangers. Yes. Another fandom, but we can talk about it some other time. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this up, where can people find you? Yeah. Like I said, definitely on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Hey Look, it's Chesco. Chesco is spelled C E S C O. I mostly post my food adventures on there, but I will start posting about my podcast because that's that's what I'm going to be promoting now. Uh, and yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Danny. No problem. Thanks for coming on, Chesco. And to the rest of the world, shine bright, shoot far, and more star metaphors to wrap this up. <laughs> See ya. Bye-bye.